Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. There is a landscape out there in the world, or maybe it's in our world, that we are constantly in pursuit of a quest for meaning and a quest for consciousness. And today we are exploring the inner space with my first guest, Don Jose Ruiz, who is the international best, best, uh, start over, Karina, start over, Don Jose Ruiz, who is the international best-selling author of The Fifth Agreement, As a Toltec master of transformation and modern-day shaman, he has dedicated his life to sharing the wisdom of the ancient Toltec through his books, lectures, and journeys to sacred sites around the world. Other books include Ripples of Wisdom and My Good Friend the Rattlesnake. And I'm so delighted to welcome Don Jose Ruiz to the show. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's beautiful to be here with you today. Yes, I feel the same way. And in fact, you and I, before we started the show, I realized that we'd been together many, many years ago when we first started the show. So I'm delighted to have you back. Let's talk a little bit about the Toltec. What is it and how are you a part of this auspicious lineage? Well, the Toltec is a tradition that is for thousands of years. And uh, the word Toltec means artist of the spirit. And this has been, been passing down generation generations. And uh, the, the five generations that we can count off is my great-grandfather. And uh, he, he was an undertaker uh, from the Totec tradition. And then it was his son. He was a musician in the army who was also teaching. My grandmother was a healer, curandera. My dad was a doctor. So they all passed the tradition one, one, one by one. But the beautiful thing about the artists, like my father explains, it's not about the civilization of thousands of years ago. The Totec artist that we talk about is the artist that we are today contributing to to put our art, our heart out there, you know, to 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 heal 
and to make everybody aware, you know, that this is a dream and they can make their dream a masterpiece of art. Mm. What is a Nagual? A Nagual is the one who's aware that we are made by force intent, that that's our purpose in life. We're more than a human body. So when we are aware of this, it's like waking up inside of a dream. And when you wake up inside a dream, it's like my father explains in one of his books. It's like waking up where, to a world where everybody's completely drunk and you're the only sober person. But this, this soberness comes in when you realize that you're alive, that it's more to life than you know than the illusions that they throw at us of how to be happy because inner happiness comes from within. So the Nagual uses the force and the intent to realize and to create its magic, but most importantly, to be aware that it's, it's, it's living life. And uh, from this point on, we know that we carry a message. But this is the question. What kind of messenger are we? What's the message that we give to the people we say we love with all our hearts? So when we wake up, we use all this energy, all this force to make our life a better place for us and for our loved ones. So is the, the Nagual, is in a sense, the awakened one? Yes. It's one because we all are Nagual. But when, when you awaken to your own potential, when you wake up with your own gratitude to be alive, you become generous because your heart becomes so generous that you know that you see yourself in everywhere. So how you treat yourself is how you're treating the divine boss and the, how you treat everybody else is treating how to treat boss. So this is a moment where the Nagual begins to be at service, a service to life. Oh, and you mentioned your father, who was the author of many New York Times bestsellers, including The Four Agreements. Um, what made you decide to follow in his footsteps? What was your awakening? Well, ever since a kid, you know, I was drawn to my family's tradition. But of course, like anything that happens in life, I bit the apple of temptations of, you know, and, and, and my, my <laughs> suffering, and, you know, and I began having dramas in my life and victimizations and I got lost into that smoke until something happened, you know, that I began waking up little by little. So I was between making a line in the sand between one side of positivity, one side of negativity of kind of living. But when my father had a heart attack and he was into a nine-week coma, in those nine-week coma, I knew that he might, dad, might die, you know, he might not make it. So in that moment, I decided, you know, to step up to, to my plate and, um, and get these, these teachings and really begin to learn them. Because, and this is the interesting thing that I found out, that in the Totec tradition, there's nothing to learn but to unlearn. Unlearn what takes our inspiration away. But what really motivated me is, you know, knowing that my father may be gone. So in that moment, there was no time to waste. And when there's no time to waste, you know, you're really doing it because you everything becomes complicated when we don't want to change. But when we make it simple, you know, it's because we want to change. And, and the simplicity comes, you know, to see our own actions. And and I asked my father when he came back from the coma, when he came back from the heart attack, and I, I asked him, you know, how can I repay you for everything that you're giving to me? And he said, it's easy, my son. Help me to change the world, but the world inside your mind. Every time you say you're not love, every time you cannot do it, you cannot change, that you're not perfect, every, every little negative thing. I want you to be skeptical to that, and that's the best way you can thank me. So, uh, practicing this way, I begin sharing this this, this tradition, um, which is called messenger training. And all of a sudden, I find myself uh, co-teaching with my father, and then all of a sudden, I find myself co-writing with my father. But the beautiful thing it is about really healing oneself. When a moment I begin healing myself, I totally understand that I was a tyrant in my life. But uh, this is the moment that I decided to to follow the footsteps when my father had a, a, a coma, a, a heart attack. And he has since recovered? Yes. yes he, he lived with eight years with 16% of his heart capacity, traveling everywhere, always being in pain. But then uh, ten, like uh, a few years ago, like seven years ago, he had a heart transplant. And uh, when he had a heart transplant, you know, he continues on. And he's still now continuing journeying 
And not as much as he's used to, but right now he's writing and he's being very productive. But, you know, what the beautiful thing about it is, is the golden time, you know, the golden time that one appreciates that one doesn't have to wait for something to happen, you know, to, to really value this. And, and but when, when, when this happened to my father, I really, really know how to value his time. And, and, but yes, but he's still going. <laughs> Amazing. You you talk about the world inside your mind, which really speaks to this innerscape, you know, this inner landscape that we all uh, work with on a daily basis. Some of us are wrestling with it and some of us are dancing with it, you know, and there's choice is, is what predicates which way we go. Yes. And one thing that made me aware of this, this action is uh, I didn't know how to pray. And my father once put me into a cathedral church and he said, you're not getting out of this church, son, until you talk to an angel. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be here forever. No? <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I entered the, 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 the cathedral. I sat down and I began to pray like I like I thought I knew how to pray. Like, please give me this. Please resolve this for me. Please, please, please. I was kind of like a begging and like a beggar. Please, please, please. And then all of a sudden, a beautiful old lady tapped me in the shoulder. I opened my eyes. I saw her beautiful gray gray hair like silver hair and her beautiful eyes and she said to me if you pray the angel will listen and then she walked away i was like what is she trying to do or say i don't understand i continued praying my own way please please but then i remember uh one of my friends who passed away and then my my thoughts begin changing and then i begin saying you know your death is not in vain my friend i i know you're always looking after me but i will do everything in my power everything in my love to change my life and i want to change my lifestyle and when i was saying those words I was hearing myself and I remember the lady saying, if you pray, the angel was listen." and I was praying and I was listening to myself. That means I'm my own prayer. I was doing my own prayer. That means I'm my own angel. And from that point on, I realized, you know, that we have all the answers. We just don't want to look at them. We just don't want to admit them because we're afraid of honesty because honesty, when we are honest, you know, it can be painful because we're like breaking away from a lie. We're breaking away from a, a certain bubble that is not true. That's only causing us suffering. But the moment that we begin praying to ourselves and we tell ourselves the truth. And from this point on, we can free ourselves from the lies. And this is a beautiful thing how the master says, you know, the truth can set you free. Free from what? From all the illusions that we have inside our heads. Because it's just illusion. All the judgments, you know, the the judgments, the guilt, the shames, everything that we give to ourselves to whatever happened in our life that we don't let go. That's what is, is holding us. But the moment that we begin praying to the angel that is within us, we cannot pull ourselves. And that's when I really discovered in my life that I know the meaning of it. And it's to take care of Jose because I know what makes Jose happy and I know what makes Jose suffer. And how do I know this is because I am Jose. And having that acceptance of seeing myself is like the real other body experience. And believe me, when I was 11 years old, so I remember having a dream like my body elevating and I saw my body floating. But, you know, that didn't help me at all in my life. The real out-of-body experience is when you begin witnessing your automatic habits, you know, how you participate in negativity and positivity. But then if you see your message that you give, you can completely change it. And that's by the form of the prayer, because when you pray, you listen. So you can you can take the action and change your world. I, I like what you said about the, 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 the prayer to, to, to oneself, in, in a sense, you know, uh, seeking the answers within, seeing the godliness in in ourselves and i think that so many of us are looking to experience god as something that is external and really what you're saying or i hear you saying is it's the unification of the self with the self the true self yes exactly because when 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 i wake up you know i i i can totally feel that like my conversations with the creator with the boss and how do i feel it 
not in Spanish, not in English, and definitely not in Spanglish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen to my emotions. Like if I'm beginning nervous, my body feels nervous, then my, my mind is there to act on it, to say to the body, it's okay, it's okay. And, and if something feels heartbreaking inside my body, I said to my body, it's okay, because everything that starts will end. But, you know, when the boss talks to us, the divine energy talks to us through emotion, it's because it is the body. And the body is our usher to to bring whatever is still unmanifest from the infinite, from dreams that are not created, ideas. It's like a vessel that comes from the, from, from the sacred space. But when we put attention to it and begin serving it, it's so beautiful. And that reminds me of the angels that are meant to be, to take care of heaven and the body is heaven. That's why I know that the body, the emotions and everything is, is, is the divine speaking through us. And when we put attention, you know, if we eat something that makes us sick, you know, and we continue putting that food into ourselves and, you know, begin getting sick, you know, we're disrespecting the temple. But the moment that we begin saying, okay, I'm listening to the body. I'm not going to put this to my body because it's sacred. My body is sacred. I know that mind wants it, but the mind, you know, it will never be satisfied. But the body can be satisfied very easily. So when we begin seeing this way, you know, you can see that divinity is within us. So when we pray inside of us, you know, we know that we are our own savior. It's never been outside. And if we are our own savior, then that means that we are our own tyrant too. So if we are our own tyrant too, and we are aware of the habits that make us go against ourselves, you know, we take action to protect ourselves from ourselves. And that's one daily prayer that I make. May life protect me from myself. We need to jump off for a quick break. And when we return, we will carry on the very heartfelt and insightful discussion with Miguel Ruiz. To learn more, please visit www.miguelruiz.com. And on Facebook, you can find him at Toltec Life. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are having a very deep and heartfelt discussion about the quest for consciousness and investigation of the inner inner landscape, the inner space. 
And my guest today is Don Jose Ruiz. And we are talking about um, Toltec wisdom, uh, the lineage of his family, including his father, Miguel Ruiz. Um, Jose, let's talk a little bit about the uh, that there's nothing to learn. You mentioned in the, in the first part of the show that it's all there. We, In fact, it's the unlearning that we need to do. Yes, because, you know, naturally when we're born, we're open-hearted. And when we get domesticated, we get the reward and punishment. And sometimes the punishment doesn't stop because they give it to us and then we do it to ourselves. And we do it to ourselves again. Like if someone was a kid and sing and then the parent had a bad day and says, shut up, you sing horrible. You know, that seed gets planted into that mind and the years go by, it believes that it sings horrible or that it's ugly, even though it's beautiful and sings beautiful, it believes this illusion. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people live that way. So in the Totec tradition, we know that we are artists of the spirit. There's nothing to learn but to unlearn because why do we have to learn anything? Because we are love, you know, we don't have to learn to be love because we are it. What we have to learn is to believe that we're not love. So that judgment is like a scorpion that's thinking itself with its own tail again and again and again. It's no different from an addict that wants to stop drinking. You know, day at a time, he begins to unlearn to stop drinking, to learn all those negative habits. The person who smokes, the person who overeats, you know, and all of these things that even the person who seeks drama, and, you know, and they're not even aware that they're doing it because they're creating that without awareness because they just want attention to be loved. But the moment that you begin saying, hey, I don't need somebody else's approval. I need, don't want someone else. I have to just forgive myself. I have to let myself go. So I have to unlearn how I judge myself. I have to unlearn how I feel guilt and I support the God of guilt in my head, the God of shame, the God of less than. You know, the creative people who are very talented, they punish themselves by, you know, stomping on their own art. But, you know, when the artist opens his heart, it has a voice that tells him to sabotage itself. He doesn't believe that voice, so it's the will against the temptation to go against itself. And when you go at the will against the temptation, it's speaking when you begin unlearn. Unlearn what? Unlearn all the ways that we use to punish yourself because the moment that we wake up, we cannot go back to sleep. And when you're not going back to sleep, you begin to be aware that we're doing this to ourselves. So when we begin doing this, it's the fifth agreement. The training of the fifth agreement is to be skeptical but learn to listen. But not skeptical in a social position saying that I'm more intelligent than anybody else. No, it's being skeptical of our own negativity. If I say, I'm not perfect, I'm not beautiful, no one loves me, they don't like my art. And that moment, we're like the scorpion stinging ourselves with our own tail, with our own stinger, with our own poison. And the moment that we realize that we're doing that, we have to unlearn that habit. And how do we unlearn it? By taking action, by accepting it, being honest about it. And when you are honest about it, it's like seeing a computer virus you know, that was created in the computer software. But if we created the virus, we can find a solution to it. And it's in every bunch. So there's a lot of beautiful techniques in the world, very beautiful religions, traditions, ways of life, art, um, work, you know, that we can do to get us out of our head. But when we get out of our head, then we can totally see how our whole world it is. And when you see the whole world, it's like seeing the programs that you want to delete from your computer and keep the ones that you want. Because in this world, I really believe in my heart that we're made to create beautiful memories. Why? Because we express and live life. But the most beautiful thing is when you remember the beautiful memories and it makes you smile. So this is one of the beautiful things to unlearn everything that didn't make us smile. Yes, it happened. And we cannot change that. All the negativity things that happened to us did happen. But we don't have to keep those negative things alive. We unlearn all these things to punish ourselves with those things because we want to be free. And to be free, we listen to our own prayer. 
and we unlearn everything that we used to do to hurt ourselves. But it's the beautiful part. Once we unlearn, we reprogram ourselves. And well, how we program ourselves with the things that we love to do, with the honesty, knowing that life is not forever, you know, that we're not going to be alive forever, that the time is now. Well, the candle is still burning. There's still the light. And it's not about age. It's about the burning candle. And from this point on, you know, we light up in our path. Even though we go to darkness, we light up our path because heaven doesn't need heaven. Who needs heaven is hell. And when we find heaven between us, we can take heaven wherever we go. <laughs> yes. And, and, and the heaven is on earth. It's not somewhere over there uh, based upon performance. It's It exists. It exists and we just have to step into it. You know, it's... And the struggle, you know, I think that for so many people, the struggle is, you know, conditional. When I get, you know, that it's always about when I get to this place or when I attain this or when I have the perfect relationship or perfect job or perfect home or perfect car. And that only leads us down the rabbit hole because it's in that constant state of wanting and desire and not acceptance and appreciation of what is right here today, this morning, now. Yes, exactly. Sometimes we know, we see that we humans, we don't know how to really love. We know how to possess. I love you if you do what I want you to do. I love you if, you know, you live my dream. And if you're not living my dream, how I expect you to be, you don't really love me. And many people really bite into this and manipulate one another, you know, manipulate one another with emotions. And this is, this is when my father explains that love is the biggest demon in hell because they might they corrupt love. But the moment that one opens heart and see that is love's being corrupted, say, okay, I want to love unconditionally because love has no conditions. Because I believe that mother and father, they love all the children all the same, no matter what did what, you know, in the world, they will always be back into heaven because like you said, heaven is in this world and hell is in this world. And I believe, you know, most of the humans, we experience both of them, that when we wake up, say, where do we want to live in, in heaven or hell? So it reminds me of a teacher that came to me from, from Peru. He was reading the Greek mythology and said, you know, there were two lions that came to the to the master, and the apprentice had two lions and asked the master, Master, mm -hmm. I have two lions. One represents positivity, one represents negativity. Master, which one will win? And the master responded, whichever one you feed will win. So, yes. you know, we all have that hell and that heaven inside of us. But the question is, what are we feeding on it? What are we putting into it? What attention? Because where we put our attention, that is what we're going to perceive. And when you put your attention to the dream of heaven, you know, problems are still going to come, but you confront them with positivity, not negativity anymore. And you confront them with self-assurance, you know, with trust in yourself, with faith in you. And when you have faith in you, you can overcome anything because having faith in oneself is believing yourself in 100%. And that's the fourth agreement right there, always doing our best. Yes. And maybe we should, we should rem remind the world of the four agreements and once again, the fifth. Yes, the my, one of my favorite agreements is the impeccability of the word. Yes. Because the word impeccable means without sin, meaning that you don't go against the word. And, you know, in this world, we go against the word anytime we manipulate with the word. We can break someone's spirit and stuff like that, or we can lift someone's spirit. So when you lift someone's spirit, it's because you lift your own spirit. And something magical about being impeccable with the word and practicing this, this agreement is that one day you begin to think impeccably. One day you begin to think, oh, no, I don't want to participate in this thought. You know, you begin kind of cleansing and that's the part of the unlearning the second agreement is don't take things personal it's one of the hardest things that we can do because um we are programmed to take everything personal especially ourselves for thinking a certain way for wanting certain things you know but the moment that we see from the outside dream that when people are in pain they say things that they do not mean because they're possessed you know possessed by pain 
and they would say things that do not mean, so they have nothing to do with you. But if we judge ourselves, we punish ourselves, and we hear somebody saying that to us, we will use that, and we will take ourselves personal, and we'll take them personal, and it will be a never-ending dance. So when you let go and forgive, you know, you understand how the world it is. And like my father says uh, in one of the books, imagine how everybody is drunk and you're the only sober person. That's how it feels like. The third <laughs> agreement is to not make assumption. And uh, do not make assumption. It is to, to not be afraid of communication for me. Because sometimes people are afraid to communicate what they understood or what they hear, you know, that they just assume and don't ask the questions and they create all these stories or, or they let their fear run their, their mind and, you know, they assume so make, they make that lie a reality. The important thing about this is that, you know, how, like a little kid said to me, an uh, eight-year-old said to me when he, he heard this agreement, says, you know, people have to know me before they can talk about me. Don't assume that I'm a certain way. Why don't they just talk about to me and I can tell them, you know? And this is the beautiful thing, you know, people are possessed by gossip and all these things, you know, that hypocrisy that they don't really want to go stupid. When the moment that you are beginning to communicate, all the things cleans up. And the fourth agreement is my father's favorite one, is always do your best. Without this agreement, the three of them won't have life because this is when you really do what comes out of you, your intent, you know, the nagel force. And, you know, if you don't judge yourself, no one else can judge you. And the judgments will not exist anymore in your mind. But it's the beautiful thing. How can we judge ourselves from doing our best? This is the things that we do. And many times, you know, we continue judging ourselves all the time for doing our best and we still judge ourselves because we're slave to that habit. But this is what my father says. It's the perfect opportunity to have the last judgment. And many people think that the last judgment was the end of the world. But no, the last judgment is so powerful because it's the last time that we will judge ourselves, put ourselves down. And this is the ultimate tool of respect, which is the ultimate highest tool of the Toltec. And the fifth agreement, like I said before, is to be skeptical, but learn to listen. Learn to listen with the heart, you know, and uh, and not believe our own negativity that just put us down and, you know, put us in a cage all the time. And when we're skeptical of our own negativity, we begin to control. That's why one of my favorite teachers is the rattlesnake, because the rattlesnake, when it's young and it gives you a bite, it can give you a little dose that it can kill you. It's more dangerous, like, you know. But when the rattlesnake matures, it knows how to control its poison, and this is when the rattlesnake becomes a sacred being that it is. And, you know, that reminds me of the human because the human, when they're younger, they don't have awareness. They're dangerous, you know, with their words. They can bite you and break your spirit. <laughs> so human, true. Yes, but when the human grows up, you know, matures, it still has poison. It still has pain, but it knows how to control it because it knows the price to pay if it let it out. We are out of time. My goodness. Well, you'll have to come back. Because there's more. There's so much more to talk about. We've, I wanted to talk about love more deeply with you, but we, we'll, we'll do it another time. Would you come back? Yes, it will be an honor, sister. And thank you for the invitation. I, I look forward to coming back. And oh, oh, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful way to start the day. I feel the same way. Oh, thank you to my guests, Don Jose Ruiz. To learn more, please visit him at www.miguel.com. Ruiz.com. On Facebook, you can find him at Toltec Life. And of course, the books, the, the four agreements, the fifth agreements, um, Ripples of Wisdom, my good friend, the rattlesnake. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy, 
or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing our quest for consciousness and the investigation of our inner landscape. My next guest is Steve Taylor. He's the author of several books on spirituality and psychology, including The Fall and Awakening from Sleep. He has also published two books of poetic spiritual reflections, including The Calm Center. He is a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University in the United Kingdom. And since 2011, he has appeared annually in Mind, Body, Spirits magazine's list of the world's 100 Most Spiritually Influential Living People. And we're here today to speak about his new book, The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Welcome. Hi there. It's great to be on the show. It's great to have you here. Let's talk about what enlightenment or being spiritually awakened actually means, because many people might have the vision of, you know, the flowing robes, uh, sitting cross-legged, chanting. And I think we're talking about something that could include that, but really is about a bigger picture. Mm, That's true. I mean, um, I always think that spiritual awakening is much more common than most people believe. It doesn't just happen to gurus in India or monks in Tibet. It happens to ordinary people in the midst of everyday life. And I think a lot more people are spiritually awakened than, than we realize. And a lot of people are probably spiritually awakening, spiritually awakened without realizing it themselves. But so I think of it as a, as a more expansive state of being. It's a higher functioning, expansive state of being in which we transcend our sense of separateness. We feel very connected to other people, we feel very connected to nature, to the universe as a whole. And we also feel a, a kind of a disidentification with our thoughts. We realize that we are more than our thoughts. So rather than being dominated by our thoughts, we can watch our thoughts and we can disregard them if, they, if we know that they are silly. But we're not dominated by the thinking mind. And as a result, we feel a sense of freedom and a, a sense of ease within us. So I think those are a couple of the main characteristics of uh, spiritual awakening. And in your view and experience, do you feel that spiritual awakening is something that happens spontaneously without reason, or is it the byproduct of some form of transformation or undergoing that we as humans experience? It can be both. You know, some some people are just naturally spiritually awakened. It's just their normal state, which they've always experienced. And I think children, to some degree, have characteristics of spiritual awakening, especially young children experience this very intense vision of the world around them and a very intense sense of connectedness to the world around them, which is very similar to spiritual awakening. 
But I think many people experience spiritual awakening very gradually through following spiritual practices like meditation uh, or practicing service for other people, living in an altruistic way. That can have a, a spiritually awakening effect. And for others, it does just happen very suddenly and very dramatically. And I found in my research that when spiritual awakening happens very suddenly and dramatically, it's usually, in most cases, uh, triggered by intense psychological turmoil. So I found a lot of cases where people were diagnosed with cancer and told that they only had a, a few months or a year left to live. People who, who were bereaved, who lost their loved ones. Also, people who, who lost everything due to alcoholism or addiction and many other kinds of stress and turmoil. Um, so it's not so uncommon in those situations for, for people to hit rock bottom, so-called rock bottom. And their, their old self, their normal self seems to dissolve away. And when that happens, a new self arises inside them, a bit like a phoenix or like a, like a butterfly emerging from a chrysalis. And that's uh, that's sudden spiritual awakening. You talk about children being naturally awake, and it, it's funny you should mention this. I was I'm on a book tour myself, and I was with my niece and nephew in Denver this past weekend, and I walked them yesterday to the bus stop, and they're little, they're maybe um, six and eight, and I just saw these perfect beings that were so content, so joyful, so full and pure. And I was like, ah, oh, I want to get back to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we do get back to that. When we um, become spiritually awakened, in a sense, it's like turning full circle. It's like um, returning to the, a childlike state. And it's a bit like, um, you know, we, we, we capture the sense of fascination and the sense of wonder and the, the curiosity and the vivid perception that children have. And also children live in the present. One of the big characteristics of spiritual awakening is becoming very present centered, you know, just no longer living in the future, no longer living in the past, embracing your present experience and being very, being very, very aware of your present experience. And children have that too. Children are very present centered. And as I say, they have this amazingly intense perception of the world around them. And they also have no sense of, of group identity. When we become adults, we often gain a sense that we belong to a certain ethnic group or a certain nation or a certain religious group. And when awakening occurs, that sense of group identity is one of the things which fades away. So people no longer feel that they are American or that they are Jewish or Hindu or Muslim or whatever. They just feel that they are human beings and they, they, they feel a, a tremendous sense of compassion and connection to all human beings indiscriminately. So that, in a sense, is like, becoming a child as well. And there's a paradox to that, I believe, going on around the world today. If you look at the political climate in many areas of the world, um, we see the pendulum swinging back to a more uh, conservative, um, I think, racist uh, view, which is the antithesis of a collective awakening. And then on the other hand, you have a tremendous amount of individuals and the world sort of trying to push collective consciousness to a more awake state. Can you talk a little bit about that and the signs that we might want to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, 
there is definitely a, a process of collective awakening um, taking place. You know, I think people in general, or at least many people, uh, are beginning to transcend a sense of group identity. A lot of people feel a sense of connection to nature uh, and to other living beings, to animals. And a lot of people are feeling, uh, you know, an interest in spiritual practices. I think one of the biggest trends of the last 20, 20 or 30 years has been this amazing upsurge in interest in spirituality, you know, with people like Eckhart Tolle becoming so successful. And that wasn't really, that didn't really happen 30, 40 years ago. It's a new phenomenon. So I think those are signs that something is changing, that there is this sort of slow process of spiritual awakening um, taking place. But at the same time, as you say, we have this kind of nationalistic, protectionist, isolationist, uh, political um, trend as well. You know, it's happening in the US with Donald Trump. It's happening in the UK with Brexit. So what I think is happening is that because a process of awakening is taking place, I think the old guard or the old values are, are being threatened. And I think whenever a new phase is beginning, the values of the previous phase they become threatened and therefore they become more rigid, more solid. They try to defend themselves against uh, against the threat. So I think that's what's happening now. I think in response to the collective awakening, I think the old values of materialism and nationalism are trying to reassert themselves because they feel threatened. And that's fear, right? I mean, it's a very fear-based response to uh, being out of control. The sense that, you know, the world as we know it is not within our grasp. And so we, we try and grasp and cling to hold on to the way things were or bring them back to the way things were. And we can never go back, actually. No, that's true. Yeah, it, it is based on fear. I mean, the ego uh, lives in fear. The ego lives in fear of, of being destroyed. And, you know, the, the ego is associated with a strong desire for power. It's associated with a strong desire for wealth and for success. And all of those things drive people to, to become as wealthy or as successful and powerful as they can. But this new sense of awakening that, that transcends the ego, you know, one of the characteristics of spiritual awakening is that we no longer need to accumulate things. We no longer need to accumulate wealth or power to feel, to feel that we are alive, to give ourselves an identity. Um, all of that fa fades away. And it's replaced by a desire to contribute. So we move from a desire to accumulate to a desire to contribute. Yeah. And I, I think that, that's what's happening at the moment. I, I, I agree. We're going to take a break in a moment. And then when we come back, I'd love to talk more about how psychology wends its way through this theme. Because there may be people listening that may be skeptical when we talk about, you know, spirituality. And I, I, in my view, there may be a misinterpretation about that. So I'd love to come back to the psychology element and then talk about the types of wakefulness. We are talking with Steve Taylor, PhD, today about his new book, The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening. And to learn more about Steve Taylor, please visit his website, www.stephenmtaylor.com, on Twitter, smtaylorauthor, and on Facebook, Steve Taylor Author. Before we dash off to a break, Steve, um, just talk for maybe a few seconds about psychology and what and, and how psychology is separate and entwined with this spiritual concept that we're speaking of. I don't think you can really separate uh, psychology and spirituality. 
I think um, psychologists, some psychologists try to, but if you want to have a, a full, whole psychology, you have to include the spiritual aspects of human nature. You have to include the potentials of human nature, which maybe some or many people haven't yet reached, but you have to investigate those and maybe make them more accessible for other people. So that's what I've been trying to do in my psychology, to explore the farther reaches of human nature and try to make them more accessible for everybody. Beautiful. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you, urge you to download and share this podcast because we're talking about the psychology of spiritual awakening. In fact, we're talking about a new book entitled The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening with its author, Steve Taylor. Steve, prior to the break, we, we began the conversation or ended the conversation before going to break talking about um, psychology and spirituality and your belief that one cannot exist without the other. But when we further the discussion on the topic of psychology, which is a scientific approach to the mind's functioning, which encompasses spirituality. Well, you know what what you could um, what we call spiritual really looks into the the higher aspects of human nature. Spirituality looks into altruism, it looks into creativity, inspiration, it looks into the sense of connection that people feel in spiritual states. It looks into higher states of awareness when the world becomes more real and more meaningful. So these states um, they may not be human beings' normal states, you know, they're, they're special moments which, we're, which we experience when our awareness expands, when we feel very relaxed or intensely alive. But they could become normal. I think if you study these experiences and if you try to establish um, what is actually happening psychologically when these experiences occur, then you can go about trying to make them more normal. You can make them more accessible. So I think of, uh, I think of spirituality as... Um, a kind of an expansive landscape which lies in front of the human race, which maybe not many people have explored so far, 
But I think if you can kind of map the landscape, if you can explore the landscape and uh, find a path through the landscape, you can find those land, the important landmarks. You can provide a sense of orientation to people, which can make this landscape easier to explore for everybody. What about all the spiritual teachers out there? There are a plethora of gurus, teachers, um, uh, experts who say if you follow or do it this way, uh, that you will gain enlightenment or a spiritual awakening. And there are a lot of frauds out there. There's a lot of snake oil in the world. Talk a little bit about that and how to learn to discern the difference. Yeah, that can be an issue because um, often, you know, the, the problem or the issue with spirituality is it's not regulated. You know, if you learn yoga, the chances are that your teacher has been through, you know, she's gained a qualification in teaching yoga. She's been on a long course, teach her the, the rudiments of teaching yoga. But if you go to a spiritual teacher, it's, you know, it's kind of un, un, unregulated. So anybody can set themselves up as a spiritual teacher. They can, um, you know, get their Facebook page and their website and they can proclaim themselves as enlightened. And if you're new to spirituality, if you're just beginning to explore that landscape, then you may not have uh, a, a lot of discernment. And so you may be taken in by narcissistic people, exploitative teachers. Maybe they're, they're, trying to, they're after your money. Maybe they're, they're after power and admiration. Um, so it can be tricky. Um, but I think you have to have a degree of discernment. Uh, on, and you have to rely on your intuition as well. Often you have a, a still, small voice inside you which tells you whether something is right or not. So often that voice comes into play. Um, but the other thing I've tried to do is uh, at the end of my book, The Leap, uh, there is an inventory of spiritual awakening. So myself and a, another researcher, uh, Dr. Kelly Kilria, we, we, we examined many cases, over 100 cases of spiritual awakening, and we established the characteristics of spiritual awakening. And we devised this inventory to try to um, measure those characteristics, if you like. And that sort of hopefully provides a degree of regulation so that if you know that somebody doesn't possess all of these characteristics, then you can tell that they're not really awakened. And I think that we go looking at times of weakness. I don't think we necessarily go looking, and we, 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 we talked a little bit about this in the first segment, that if you're in a state where you're vulnerable, um, you need to be particularly aware of not being sort of pulled down the rabbit hole of uh, a spiritual teacher that is a fraud. That's true. Um, I think one of the issues is that a lot of people like, you know, uh, to have a guru. They like to have somebody, a kind of father figure or mother figure who has the answers to all of their problems, who can take responsibility for all of their problems. And that's kind of a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to abdicate responsibility for your own life and, to hand over power to a guru or to a, a father or mother figure. So you're right, it's a kind of a psychological need in some, in some people. And there may be certain times of our lives when we're, we're, we're more, more vulnerable to that. But I think we have to be discerning, we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to explore our own motives. You know, are we really looking for spiritual awakening, or are we looking for consolation? Are we looking for, uh, for an abdication of responsibility? So I think we really need to be honest with ourselves. When we talk about wakefulness and you talk about the inventory in your book, The Leap, 
Um, can you talk about the types of wakefulness that we experience? Yeah. Um, well, sometimes um, um, there are sort of perceptual aspects of wake up wakefulness. So it's a bit like um, when we were talking about children earlier. So wakefulness can manifest itself in a very vivid perception of the world around us, um, a sense of present, a sense of being present to our experience. And also it can manif manifest itself in an inner quietness. You know, so being awake means becoming free from the incessant mental chatter, which many of us experience, the kind of incessant voice in the head, which comments on our experience. So when people wake up, that voice becomes a lot quieter, or maybe it just fades away altogether. And also, when people wake up, they become a lot more altruistic. They have a desire to contribute to the world. They become less materialistic, less interested in uh, wealth and power and success. And that's replaced by an impulse to, to help, to give something back. So there's a movement from wanting to take from the world to wanting to give to the world. And, and also, people, as I said before, people lose a sense of group identity. They have this uh, strong sense of connection to all human beings, no matter how, how differently they may appear, no matter the, in spite of any superficial differences between them. They have this very all-encompassing, universal sense of morality and empathy. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also important to add that there is an experience of elevation, right? That it, one is not necessarily in an elevated state 100% of the time, although it could happen, I suppose, but it's the recognition of that elevated state and mm -hmm, this feels good. This, this is good. Just this moment is good. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think one of the processes which occurs is a reduction of desire. You know, I think, Many human beings live in a state of constant desire. They live in a, a state of dissatisfaction, a sense that something is missing, you know, something is not quite right. And often that manifests itself in a desire to earn more money, to buy things, to buy new clothes or a new car. But it can manifest itself in a desire for, for pleasure, you know, to, to get drunk or to take drugs or, or for food maybe. Um, but when a person wakes up, those desires fall away because there is a, a new contentment. There is a sense of ease in the present moment. So, yeah, as you say, that, that kind of constant discontent and dissatisfa dissatisfaction fades away and is replaced by a sense that life becomes, life is now easy. You know, life is simple, natural, spontaneous and easy. Lovely. I just want to, Ah, exhale, you know, <laughs> and I think that is what it feels like in, in my own experience when I've had those moments. Talk a little bit about drugs, because you, you spoke about the the um, seeking, seeking pleasure as a way of um, striving for elevation, but it really not fulfilling it on a sustainable level. Some people would would posit, though, that it is possible to attain awakening through the use of psychedelics. And I, and I hear this often in my practice because I do work with young adults who are in addiction recovery. And, and, and the thought is that it, it, it can be in the magic mushroom. It can be, you know, in ayahuasca, it can be in LSD. And I'm, I'm wondering what your take is on this. Well, um, I'm usually quite cautious about using psychedelics as a route to awakening 
I think, you know, um, one way of looking at it is to say that psychedelics can show you where to get to, but they don't show you, show you the way of getting there. They can show you the destination, but they don't offer you a route to get there. Because it's true that um, certain psychedelic substances like LSD or ayahuasca, they can momentarily or temporarily show you a wakeful vision of the world. You know, they can a- enable you to transcend separateness. They can make you connect to, world, to the world. They can make the whole of the world seem alive and imbued with a spiritual force. And that's great, you know, while it lasts. But you can't carry on taking ayahuasca or LSD as a way of waking up. All that will do really is uh, disrupt the normal psychological structures of your mind and it will lead to psychological damage if you do it too regularly and too frequently. So I think that you have to be cautious. You have to... I think psychedelics can be transformational in that they in that they show us that this world exists and they make us realize that our normal vision of the world is limited. But you can't use them as a way of reaching that place permanently. I think the best thing you can do is to to use them infrequently and to combine them with spiritual practices like a meditation or mindfulness. I think those spiritual practices, they're the real uh, techniques or methods which lead to permanent awakening. Uh, I, I agree because they help us harness the mind and separate from the mind um, to recognize that there is more than just what exists between our, our two ears. That's right. Yeah, I mean, psychedelics can do that too. But if you uh, follow a, a meditative practice or a spiritual path, then it's a much more integrated way, a much more holistic and organic way of achieving that state of wakefulness. So as I say, I don't think it's possible to attain a permanent state of wakefulness through the use of psychedelics. I agree. To learn more about Steve Taylor and his new book, The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening, please visit www.stephenmtaylor.com, on Twitter at smtaylorauthor, and on Facebook, Steve Taylor Author. Steve, thank you for joining us. Best wishes on your new book. I think this is a, 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 a wonderful and timely gift to us all. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your community. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Steve Taylor and Don Jose Ruiz, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.